You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern. Helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, your host of the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today for episode number nine. You can find show notes and links to resources mentioned in this episode by visiting allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash nine. Today I'm joined by guest co-host Kathy Miller of simplystatedbusiness.com. Kathy is a friend and fellow business writer, and today we're going to talk about ghost blogging and ghostwriting for trade publications. We'll cover some of the benefits of ghostwriting, where and how you can find decent ghostwriting gigs, how you can prepare to write in the voice of your clients, and how you can make the most of ghostwriting gigs in your freelance writing portfolio. Let's get to it. Kathy, I'm happy to have you. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Jen. So let's talk about ghostwriting. On the surface, it's understandable that some freelance writers want to avoid it. After all, they won't get a byline, and we know how much freelance writers love bylines. And depending on their contract or any non-disclosure agreements that they might sign, they might not even get to use their work in a portfolio. But there's so much more to it than that. So let's look at the other side of the coin at some of the benefits of ghost blogging or ghost writing in general. Why don't you go ahead and start? One, generally they'll pay better for ghost writing because it's not your name that's going on the byline. I was one of those people that was kind of surprised that they took to ghost writing because I have as healthy an ego as anybody else. And so I thought, you know, not having a byline would be a big deal. But I discovered that it really wasn't for me. I always say, as long as my name's on the check, I'm okay with it. Another benefit I like about it is that I get to kind of wear a lot of different hats in whatever might interest me. I learn a lot. And I kind of get a little bit of role playing of the, you know putting on somebody else's suit and, and walking around in it. And for me personally, I like that. I like the variety. I like meeting people that are passionate about what they do and being able to take that passion and turn it into the written word form uh, is something that I find very satisfying. That's interesting. You know, I never really thought of it as role playing, but that is a little bit of what we do, isn't it? Um, Two other reasons that I personally love ghostwriting is that you have a little more creative freedom and flexibility sometimes in that you can cover topics that you might not want to cover under your own name. That's not to say that there's anything wrong with the topics, but let's say you specialize in one particular topic like um, social media and maybe you want to write about crafts or something like that by ghostwriting for somebody else you get the satisfaction of writing what you want to write about without necessarily interfering with your other marketing within your specialty area. And that's that's always fun, just getting a little bit of diversity. Now, I'm all for specializing, and most of my work is in my specialty area. But, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a little flexibility, and ghostwriting, just like using a pen name, gives you that. The typical writer loves to learn and and, you know, just has a voracious appetite for learning new things. And so I think this helps feed into that. And and you're exactly right. Like I said, I have a niche of, you know, 30 some odd years in health insurance and and healthcare. But to give you an example of where I ended up ghostwriting totally outside my comfort zone was a former client who 
went to a logistics management company, which is your supply chain, you know, yeah. international shipping and things like that, which I knew absolutely zilch about. And one of my very favorite ghostwritten case studies I ever did was, was on that business. And, and I knew nothing about it beforehand. So that was so much fun. You're, you're absolutely right. It gives you an opportunity to try some other area. I find that really exciting. Yeah, exactly. And it's not even always about stepping outside of your own specialty. Sometimes your specialty is the type of writing you do, like you mentioned case studies. So you might specialize in case study writing, but then you get the interesting aspect of learning about all the different industries that your clients happen to work in. And another way to look at it is for new writers, starting out with ghostwriting, gives you an opportunity to play around with different things while while you're learning about different industries to help you decide what you do want to specialize in and focus on building your own name and reputation. So there's that. And then there's one more big benefit of ghostwriting that sometimes gets overlooked. And that is the fact that you get access to high-level staff like business owners and CEOs and in some cases even celebrities. So you have the opportunity to generally work with the highest people within an organization or company. And those are incredible connections for your network later as far as referrals go and future work. And I think sometimes that's really overlooked, that you're not just working with whoever's in charge of their content or their marketing. You're often working with the top dog. And that's great. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I never really thought about that, but that's spot on. I mean, you know, the ones I work with are generally senior executives. Exactly. They're the ones who don't have the time to handle their own writing. So that's, exactly. that's who you want to be connecting with. So, okay, we've covered some of the benefits and, ho- you know, hopefully that'll open up the minds who are against ghostwriting because of lack of a byline as something to try, not something necessarily to specialize in, but something that's worth not ruling out automatically. So let's say a new writer decides to give ghostwriting a shot. Now, Kathy, if you were starting from scratch, where or how would you start looking for ghostwriting clients today? Okay. Well, the good news is I I really haven't been freelancing all that terribly long. So I don't have to go too far back in the memory to remember what it was like starting out with absolutely no clients and none for ghostwriting. I kind of fell into it because of my specialty. It started out with articles that trade publications for my niche, and the company that I started with was my former employer, my last corporate employer. That was kind of a nice way to get into it and test out what I thought about it and and whether or not that was the direction I wanted to go. And once I did, it's kind of like once I had that under my belt, uh, I felt very comfortable going to uh, similar type companies and, and using that specialty and presenting the idea of ghostwriting to a busy executive. And the other very popular because business blogs were really starting to take off then was to do the ghost blogging uh, because that's a, a big time consuming uh, job, as you know. And so a mm-hmm. lot of companies always want to have their business blog, but they just don't have the manpower or just, you know, don't want to deal with it. So that was another easy segue into ghost blogging for them. 
And I found that a lot of companies don't think about the ghostwriting aspect. You know, when I'm pitching to somebody new or potential client, I almost always lead with, you know, oh, I've done extensive ghostwriting. And you can almost see them through the phone sit up straighter. And it's like, oh, that's not something I thought about. And, And just for some of the reasons that you shared, Jen, it's, you know, they're busy, they they want to get their name out there, or maybe they just don't like writing, you know, maybe they're great at, like, one of my clients who I just adore for ghostwriting is so charismatic, but he hates to write. He just hates it. There's just a lot of need out there, and it's like you introduce the idea of ghostwriting or ghost blogging, and, and it's something that certainly attracts their attention. You know, I think it's important for new ghostwriters to understand that they don't necessarily have to become an expert in the things that they're ghostwriting about. These people who are hiring you as their ghostwriter, they have the expertise. They will give you the information that they want you to convey. They're just not writers. And that's okay. Not everybody's a writer. Thank goodness. Or our services wouldn't be worth very much. Um, so yeah, it's not that you have to become an expert in all of these things. You just have to be able to take the information and quotes and facts that somebody else gives you and find a way to spin that into something that sounds like it came from them without them having to do that work. And, you know, kind of building off of what you said before about how it oftentimes ends up being an executive or somebody way high up in the, uh, checking order of the company, let's face it, they have healthy egos. And so I play upon getting your word out there. You want to promote your company or your products or your services. You want to show how you're different from your competitors. But let's face it, you don't have the time to do that. And that's where I can help you. From my perspective, it is a great service you're giving them because it, it lets them be heard. And lets them, I, even though I hate the term thought leadership, uh, you know, it is that they get out there in their niche, in their industry, and the more they're in print and seen around the internet and that, people become aware of them and their company. So your example is a great one in that you came from the corporate background and you were able to basically tap that network that you had built in your past corporate career to start ghostwriting on a freelance basis. Now, I know a lot of newer freelancers, they like to start out in freelance marketplaces online. And what I'm going to say is, A, if you're just looking for something low level to dabble in, that's fine. You know, like I said before, you might find an occasional gem in these places, but they're generally run in a race to the bottom mentality where they have far too many freelancers per project listed. And the whole point is to bid low to compete. It's not a great place to be. So please, you know, if you're going to use them, be careful about weeding them out, finding those few gems, and make sure it's not somewhere that you plan on staying indefinitely. You know, use it as a stepping stone to something else if you must use it at all, Uh, because that's not where most of the good ghostwriting gigs are going to be found. So, yeah, that's a place you can start if you must. But like you had said, tap your network. Think about who you have connections with, past employers, past clients that maybe you didn't go straight for, who might have other projects that they hadn't thought of before. And then direct pitching. 
one of the best ways to get ghostwriting gigs is direct pitching. As much as I'm not big on direct pitching as part of my own marketing, because I focus on platform and having clients find me, if you're just starting out, you don't have that platform yet. So go out there and pitch, you know, because it's not uncommon for prospects to have projects that they could use your help with where they don't even realize it yet until you contact them and say, hey, I can do this for you. They don't even realize they need that project done or they have never thought about hiring a freelancer to do it. You know, for example, one freelancer, it might have been Carolyn Angle, was recently talking about how she writes internal memos for our company. Now, how many companies are thinking to bring an outsider in to write something like that? Probably not many. And yet it's a market waiting to be tapped for ghostwriters. Press releases, business plans, there are all kinds of business documents that need to be written, that freelancers are qualified to write, that don't generally come with a byline. Those are things that you can go out there, find prospects, say, wow, I'd really love to work with this company. Let me see what kinds of documents this particular company might need help with or what might they need to use that they're not using yet and pitch them. That is probably your top way to get new clients when you're just starting out. And, you know, if you're interested in the corporate side, you know, my world's kind of narrow because I spent 30 years in corporate life. So it was just a natural. And that's where, in my opinion, some of the best paid ghostwriting gigs are. So if you're just starting out and even if you don't have a corporate background, but you think that's where you want to go, I personally found LinkedIn to be extremely helpful with that. And I think it's because it's it's set up more kind of like a corporate setting, if you would. It's like, a you know, you it's almost sharing of resumes and networking in groups and, and things like that. And so I think you can tap into that and introduce again this idea of ghostwriting. I mean, maybe what you do is you do a free white paper report, whatever you want to call it, on the benefits of a ghostwriter in the corporate setting. You know, it, it's exactly. because I have never come across anybody that I pitched the idea to that I felt were dead set against. More often than not, it just it intrigues them. Now, that doesn't mean every time I approach somebody that they say, oh, yeah, you know, here you go. Here's 12 projects. But, but at least it plants that seed and it gets them thinking about it. And then since I started, we've evolved into, you know, the big buzzword of content. Well, you know, so I also focus on that now there is so much content that needs to be done both you know in print and online and it's just impossible to fulfill all that need internally and so i will you know focus on the content part of it and the last suggestion that worked for me is Yes, I end up writing for the executives in that, but I found if I get buddy-buddy with kind of the middle, like the um, either the marketing and communication director, VP, manager, or whatever title they have in their company, I help them look good. So they pitch to their boss, well, we want you to get known more in the industry. So we were thinking of doing six articles this year in XYZ trade publication, or we want to write a white paper or whatever. So then I work with them, and yes, I interview with the executive in that, but if that brings in, you know, 
the business or more leads than that, that makes that marketing manager look good. That's how I've ended up with clients that I have had since I started freelancing. And they moved to a new company and they come and hire me for that company. So nice. surprise, surprise, it's all about networking and building. <laughs> like everything else in business. Yes, exactly. Now, you know, ghost blogging we had talked about before is increasingly popular. It's The growth potential there is just phenomenal because you have so many, not only corporate clients, but even small businesses who want to get in on blogging and content marketing, which blogging is becoming a big part of. But you brought up another type of project, which is writing ghostwriting for trade publications. And that is a project that you and I are both big fans of. And so I'd like to go into that a little bit more for people who aren't familiar with it, because it's a great example of a kind of ghostwriting project that many clients would never even think to hire a freelance writer for. You know, they aren't aware of the potential that that has as far as getting their name out there. Yeah, no, I ended up with a, uh, oh, I think it was like four or five years. And the only reason I'm still not doing it is the person moved on to another company and then left that company. But what it was was I ended up uh, having a ghostwriting gig where she was writing bi-monthly articles for a trade publication. And like I said, I did that for five years because she was uh, a specialist inside the insurance industry and, you know, even more refined specialty. And I love it myself. I can't relate to writers who work publications and who have to pitch directly because I don't do that. I mean, if I pitch, it's pitching ideas to my client, who is the corporate client. And the thing is that trade publications are like any online or print publications. They're dying for material. And so I, it's just almost an absolute instant yes when somebody from the industry with a little bit of credibility says, hey, can I write some articles for you, you know? And, and so I like it because I don't have to pitch to an editor and, and, you know, go through that whole thing back and forth. And it, like I said, that's the extent of my pitching would be ideas with my client. And then uh, they go and they, they publish it and everybody's happy. Exactly. <laughs> the only time it'll bother me is when I get the editor who cares it apart, <laughs> like we all do. But but um, there again, I don't have to deal with that directly. They, it, as far as they know, I don't even exist. So uh, mm. I really like that aspect of not having to go through the pitching of ideas to an editor. Yeah, and just to explain to new writers how this works, basically you get to write for a magazine, but you're not pitching that magazine as a freelance writer. You're not paid by the trade publication. Instead, what you're doing is you're writing on behalf of the business. A lot of trade publications will get some of their content from paid freelance writers, but they also get content for free from professionals within the industry that they specialize in. So what you're doing is you're targeting those small businesses, those corporate clients, and you're writing features for them, for their executives or their owners. And then those individuals are pitching the magazines or reaching out to contacts that they have within the trade publications already. 
and they're placing the articles. Now, in some cases, they might ask you to pitch them as well, in which case I charge extra to write pitch letters. Mm -hmm. So I get two gigs for one. And, you know, the real benefit of this is that, well, you know, the trade publication gets free content. And this isn't directly promotional content, by the way. This is industry-specific, authoritative content, similar to what they might publish on their own blog or in any other magazine if the owner were to publish it themselves. But, you know, the basic idea is the business pays you and then they give that content to the trade publication. So they're getting the credibility factor and they're paying for that without the magazine laying out the cost. So it's attractive for both your client and for the publication. And the best part is your business client will often pay much more than what a trade publication is able to pay their freelancers. So you end up making more out of the deal if you're willing to forgo that byline and you're helping your clients build their authority status instead of you trying to build your own. And these are some publications that you would probably never think to pitch for yourself. You know, for example, the first one I did, I was working with a company. Um, I was actually working with their marketing firm, but the end client was a company that had developed a new kind of garage floor coating. And we ended up placing the article that I ghost wrote in Closets Magazine. Now, I never would have pitched Closets Magazine with anything <laughs> to build up my authority status. It has nothing to do with my business, but it had everything to do with that client's business. And so the authority status went to them. I got paid very well for the project, and it worked out wonderfully. And I absolutely fell in love with this type of writing. You know, it's, yeah, it's great to have your name in magazines. And, you know, if that's what you want to do, then consumer publications might be better for you. But if that's not your concern, if you want to be able to write for print, or maybe you want to try this as a way to start writing for print before pitching consumer magazines, you know, could be a way to build up a portfolio. But you get paid very well, and you do get the diversity. And, you know, like you pointed out, Kathy, you have a buffer between you and an editor to deal with any kind of edit requests or changes or, you know, scope issues or anything else that comes up. So it, it's very freeing in that sense, especially if you already have a relationship and, with a client. And you generally you'll get paid quicker, <laughs> you know, that's where true. you might that's be true. at the mercy of the trade publication, your client's paying you and hopefully you don't, you know, let your client go with on forever so that's another that's why for me I just love it I you know I thought when I started that I would be doing articles with byline and doing that but once I got into the ghostwriting the first time I ever saw my first article in a trade publication somebody else's byline did not matter <laughs> I mean I just I looked at it and I'm like I wrote that and and that's not going to be the same for everybody, and and that's okay. I mean, if it's exactly. not, then maybe that you know maybe ghostwriting isn't for you. But I got so much joy out of just seeing something I wrote in print. And a lot of them, the trade publications, well, probably most publications, will have a calendar too that you can just get online. And like for example, because I am specializing like healthcare niche and that, I also have a even further niche in, in wellness programs that, you know, employer-sponsored wellness programs. So you'll find a trade publication that 
is going to feature wellness programs in November. And so I'll use that to give ideas to my client that, you know, maybe they don't realize that XYZ magazine is going to be publishing, doing a whole feature on wellness programs. So I'll send an email to them and say, hey, you you might want to think about getting an article in their November issue. And even if you don't know the the niche or the industry, there's ways to find out and, and learn about it. And, and exactly. one of the best places to, is to start with your client and ask what they read and what their customers read. So when we had talked via email about, you know, what we wanted to cover in this episode, you gave a few really specific examples of how you personally like to prepare and get ready to write in a client's voice. So I was wondering if you could share that. Particularly when it's somebody new Ideally, if I can get something that they've prepared, that's the ideal world. I don't want it to be me writing. And it's funny how I feel about that. I mean, it's like I feel kind of um, let down almost if, if I know I've put something out that's really more me than them. And that'll happen sometimes where you just can't get a client to commit to the time that you would like in order to get that voice of of who you're writing for. And what I'll ask them for up front, and again, because you're mostly talking with executives, there's very few that wouldn't have this information. I'd say, have you done a podcast? Have you done a presentation that was videotaped? Have you written articles before? Even internal, have you written an email to your staff about this product or something? And I always tell them I'm an information hog. You can never give me too much information. I'd rather have too much. And so ideally, if I can get that kind of information, particularly good as audio and visual presentations, then I can study that and see, you know, what I call it their sound bites, how they express themselves. And again, we all have sound bites we use over and over, maybe sometimes too much, but I that's what makes it interesting. And then as you work with them, I had mentioned the one gentleman earlier who's a client of mine. I've worked with him now for probably six, seven years, and I told him he's a walking soundbite, which I told him was a compliment in, in my eyes. And But I've gotten to know how he thinks, how he talks, and I just have so much fun putting together something that I can almost hear him say in the line. And so that to me is the ideal world for, for ghostwriting. And I always tell them and emphasize, I want this to be your words, not mine. So let's move on to one of the most common ghostwriting questions I see from newer writers, which has to do with their portfolios. If you aren't getting credit for your work with a byline, can you use those pieces in a portfolio to attract other clients and land new gigs? Or are you basically left without a portfolio? Well, the answer is, you know, to whether or not you can use ghostwritten pieces in a portfolio is yes and no. That depends on the individual client and the contract terms that you have with them. In many cases, clients are absolutely fine with you mentioning your projects or linking to it if it's online. And some might even let you post screenshots or a PDF version. Um, But there are exceptions. So, for example, let's say you sign an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, that forbids you to talk about your involvement with the project or company at all. 
if you sign that kind of an NDA, then claiming authorship in your portfolio might be a violation of that. And the other big issue that you need to keep in mind is that you probably in your contract have some kind of a confidentiality clause. And if you're ghostwriting internal communication, like memos, business plans, you know, anything that's really only meant for the employees or the executives of a company, then you can't share that information generally. That would be a violation of your confidentiality agreement because it's information that competitors are never meant to see. So in those cases, no, you're probably not going to be able to use the work in your portfolio. But in many cases, you can. You know, we had talked about ghost blocking, for example. Um, in many cases, clients don't even put their own name on blog posts that you ghostwrite for them. Instead, what they do is they just have all of their blog posts coming from the company. So instead of a byline, it's simply on the company blog with no real author mentioned. And in those cases, I've found that clients are generally okay with letting you share samples with others. Some may not want you to share them publicly, um, especially if you're sharing internal information on their blog, like covering their company news and all. But if you're writing within a niche on their behalf, they are usually more open to it. And, you know, in the end, you know, my philosophy is always it's better to ask and to think about this up front. Just talk to your clients about it. So what has your experience, Kathy, been with that? Have you been able to use a lot of yeah. your work illustrating? Um, pretty much. Uh, you know, if if you go to my uh, business site, the Simply Stated Business.com and the portfolio site, you'll see right up at the top, I say that, you know, I've ghostwritten, you know, a lot of articles and and blog posts and that I don't post them, but you know, I can give them samples available upon request. And, and, you know, so then I would have the ones that, as you said, you've got the understanding or agreement actually with your client that that's okay to do. The interesting thing to me, because I've seen this come up a lot, you know, that question, and it has never been a problem for me. I mean, here's just my take on it. And I don't know if, you know, I'm just lucky that way. But I think people are more concerned that they have some assurance that you're a good writer. In all the time that I've had that up there, I've never once been asked for a, a sample of something I've ghostwritten with somebody else's byline. And that's a, yeah, that's <laughs> a good point, is that your portfolio doesn't have to include everything. I very rarely right. actually update my portfolio. I leave samples in there that I liked. Um, for mm -hmm. example, for press releases, I've probably written at least 100 press releases since I last updated my portfolio. And I just don't see a need to continually put new ones in there. I put in ones that were for clients that I find particularly interesting. An oil executive who was building a rainforest habitat, that's interesting to me. A former NFL player, clients that might catch somebody's eye. You know, you don't have to put everything in there, just a few pieces. Just get a few that say, yeah, it's okay, go ahead and put this in your portfolio. And that probably is enough. You know, they just need to see something. You know, that's a very good point you made. They just want to see that you can write well. So, yeah. And, excellent. you know, the only time I, I could see, you know, is like, for example, there's different platforms out there where you can put online portfolios and that, yeah. but they require bylines. 
And so I don't have very much out there with byline, but like I said, in my case, it doesn't really matter because I have enough work in, in what I'm doing. So if you wanted, you know, to be online and, and wanted the byline, you know, then that's the only time I could think of that you might run into a bit of a challenge because you just don't have that much that has your byline. But if you're talking about someone seeking a ghostwriter, I just haven't found it to be an issue. So, you know, in the cases where a writer can't use samples in their portfolio, I have three potential ways to get around that as far as still giving yourself a bit of an edge um, in finding new gigs. Um, The first is instead of putting the actual content of whatever you've written on your site and your portfolio, you can just go through and with a pro- post a project list instead. Mention who you did the project for, what the basic project was, and include a very brief description of what it involved without giving away any confidential information, of course. Um, another option is to ask the client to give you a testimonial where they mention what the project is. Between both of these options, the real benefit is that you're showing people who you've worked for And in the case of the testimonial, you're getting a client to say that you did a good job. So even if you can't show the work, they're saying, you know what, this was effective for us. And that can go a long way. And the last option is something that we mentioned briefly in passing already, which is if you can't use a piece in a public portfolio, talk to your clients about the possibility of using it privately. If someone were to email you or call you and ask you for samples, of a specific type of writing. So if somebody wants to see case studies and you don't have any that you're allowed to publish publicly, you probably have several that you could share privately via email as long as your clients are okay with it and there's nothing that you can't share there. But you know, case studies, press releases, things like that are generally meant to be seen by others. You know, it's not like an internal, like you're giving somebody's business plan away. Um, so in those cases, it's usually very easy to get a client to agree to let you include that in a private portfolio, even if they're not comfortable with you publicly claiming authorship. So if you're looking to build a portfolio, but you focus mostly in ghostwriting and you're concerned that that limits your portfolio opportunities, those are three options that you have to help you get around that, to still say, hey, I'm experienced, I've worked for X, Y, and Z clients. And here's what I've done, which is really what your portfolio is about. I do have one client who I've done, you know, lots of white papers and what they call resource documents and things like that, that again, are not bylined. Um, But what they do is they use that, you know, for lead generation. So they will put just a small blurb on their website describing the document, and then you have to fill out your name and email address in order to get the whole document. So obviously, they didn't want me, you know, posting in my portfolio the entire document. And what I had talked to them uh, about was, would you have a problem if I took an excerpt, like say the first page, and and then would link back to their site if they want to download the entire paper? And they said, no, that was fine. So that was another way I got around, you know, not being able to give them the entire document, but still give them enough that they can, you know, see, get a sample of my writing. Excellent idea. 
I believe that's all we have for you today. So again, I'd like to thank Kathy Miller for joining me. You can learn more about Kathy and get some of her business writing tips at simplystatedbusiness.com. A quick note for authors before we go, don't forget that by subscribing to the All Indie Writers newsletter, you can get a free report with 21 blog post ideas to promote your fiction. Sign up on the homepage at allindiewriters.com and you'll receive a download link for your free copy when you confirm your subscription. Remember to submit your writing-related questions to be answered in a future podcast episode through the contact form at allindiewriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindiewriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash nine. And you can also access this podcast and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a freelance theater production. Freelance theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.